welcome back to Tuesday at Dobbs's. Thank you everyone as always for getting in touch and for sharing your thoughts and opinions. It's hugely, hugely appreciated. Best place to do so, comments section below. And if you've got a longer story made with some photos, hi at TuesdayAtDobbs.com and the Insta page, Tuesday underscore at underscore Dobbs. I'll begin this week with a couple of thoughts with regards to Facebook, because last week, a few people said that I was very, very irresponsible for recommending Facebook Marketplace because it is so full of fraudsters trying to take your money. And while that is true, if you place an advert on Facebook for a motorbike or for a car that you're trying to sell, probably 80% of those people contacting you will be trying to rob you and take everything you own. That is true, I agree. But if you can sift through those people, it's an incredibly effective place to both sell your vehicles and to buy because some things being sold on Facebook Marketplace you cannot find anywhere else, plus the fact you're buying privately so you will be able to save money if you can make it an effective sale or purchase. I've got a couple of bits of insight here and I'll start with Alan. Never trust the elderly. They're my words, not Alan's. I just thought it was a catchy little title for this. Never trust the elderly. From Alan. Freddie, I must, or Freddie, I almost, sorry, bought a bike off a chap who was on his deathbed. But when I got there early, he was wheeling a wheelbarrow full of concrete to the foundation of his new garage slash shed, where he intended to repair, yep, motorcycles. So on questioning the ill health bit of the advert, to be fair to him, he was honest at the point he said, and I quote, that one should always work. Trust no man or woman, sadly. Alan, I've had a few of those as well. I was caught or I was caught up on this. I was brought up on this by a few people when I said this is the perfect advert last week because this person is selling their motorcycle due to ill health. It's a perfect, perfect reason for someone to sell a vehicle and it means that you're buying a genuine vehicle because there's a genuine reason for sale. But a lot of people pulled me up on that from last week and they said, Freddie, don't fall for it. Do not fall for it. This is just a sales pitch. These people are not always ending their motorcycling career due to ill health. They may be in very good health and just wanting it to seem like a genuine advert. So clearly Alan has been, well, not caught out like that, but possibly had a wasted trip because of a dishonest seller. Moving on to Aaron. Freddie, loads of beep in these comments. I've bought and sold eight motorcycles on Facebook or Craigslist. Sure, you get tire kickers, but who cares? If a seller is weird online or in person, just walk away. Learn to vet people first. And I agree with you. I've recently been selling because we've been clearing out stuff, getting ready for the move. I sold a Michelin tire about a week and a half ago or so on Facebook Marketplace. Everything sells on Facebook Marketplace eventually. I promise you, it does work. I move on. Oh, Roy, this is fascinating. Let me just see if I can find this on my phone as well. This is from Roy, Freddie. Some people have a listen. I could not believe this. 
Some people with Royal Enfield bikes are converting their bikes from fuel injection to carbs. Look at Hitchcock's catalogue for conversion kits. Regards, Roy. I, I did a couple of screenshots for this because I've never heard anything like this before. You buy a relatively new motorcycle and you think, what can I do to make this bike better? Ah, I know. I will convert it to a carburetted bike. Well, this for me just makes almost no sense. So I went on to Hitchcock's website, that's hitchcocksmotorcycles.com. And sure enough, Roy, you're absolutely right. Carburetor conversion kit for a Royal Enfield Himalayan. And it's laid out with all of the pieces there that you need to convert it. First thing I noticed when I had a look at this laid out section of different bits and pieces for the conversion, it actually looks quite simple. It's not an, a never ending list of wires and things like that. In fact, I can only see two wires here for the conversion, which I guess is the exact plus point, the exact positive about a carb conversion, the simplicity. Have a listen to a bit of this. Product details. Carburetor conversion kit for Himalayan. I'll just read the first bit because I found this so interesting. Carburetor conversion kit for the fuel injected Himalayan models. This kit includes all of the components required to convert your Himalayan away from fuel injection to a CV carburetor. This will give similar performance figures to the fuel injection system, but have a listen to this. The main benefit is simplicity and the ability to fine tune the carburetor yourself to match the engine or any future modifications you make to the bike. All of the components are bolt-on items and it is a completely reversible modification. Supplied jetted to suit the standard Himalayan model. Roy, that's just eye-opening. I would never have thought that that would be something that people would do, but I guess it makes sense. I move on. Modern day mechanics. I asked the question last week, can a mechanic be called a mechanic if they don't know how to work on carburetted bikes? I had a lot of insight into this, a lot of input. So I've tried to whittle it down to just two to cover most of the bases from PK. Freddie, mechanics, and this is echoed a lot, this exact opinion on the matter. Freddie, mechanics are not mechanics anymore. They are component swappers and have no real experience of fixing or repairing cars or motorcycles. It's sad, but it's just true. Moving on to Rebel Cowboys. A mechanic can usually fix mechanical things through experience, but he may not understand why it is the way it is. A technician, however, can tell you the science behind how it works. I went to college in 1997 thinking I knew everything about cars. I was a competent mechanic. On the first day I found out I did not know anything. The first hour was on Newton's laws of thermodynamics as a basic of brakes. I learned that most things I was doing worked, but was wrong or wasted time. I came out of college, a tech that knew the science behind every part of a car 
how they interact, and how to see what can't be seen. My brother, who won state at a high school diesel mechanic contest, had the same experience in college. Today, anyone can plug a computer into a car and throw parts at it. We call them parts changes. It usually works eventually. It does not make them a tech, though. Just someone who can get the job done most of the time. A tech is the guy he calls when he gets stumped. That's a really interesting insight. I remember when I was a Porsche mechanics apprentice. I think I was 19 years old at the time. I thought this was my dream job. And I started at Porsche and I remember there was in our Porsche, genuine Porsche dealership, a, a master technician. Now these were the, the top people within Porsche and we had a similar experience. I was the lowest level doing basic oil changes. And if there was something that the mid-level mechanics or technicians couldn't do, they would go to the master technician. And the master technician knew everything. And if there was something that the master technician didn't know, then it probably didn't exist as an issue. They were an encyclopedia of knowledge. But even then, at 19 years old, this was a long time ago now, I, I remember every single fault diagnosis. You would plug the Porsches in to, to a diagnostic machine. That's the first thing you'd do. And bear in mind, this is a good 18 years ago or so now. So it's even more extreme now. But you'd plug everything into the machine. You'd sit on the driver's seat of the Porsche and wait for all of the codes to come up. And I remember once there was a fault with a Porsche Cayenne, the big 4x4. No fault code came up with the mechanic I was learning from. And he was completely stumped with what to do. He had no idea at all. And that's not an insult to the mechanic. It's just the way it was. And he had to go to the Porsche master technician to find out what the issue was. Because the second he couldn't see any fault on the fault reader, he didn't know where to start himself. And that's probably indicative of the way we're going now. If you plug something in as a technician or mechanic, whatever you want to call yourself, and you can't see a fault coming up on the system, yet there is a fault somewhere, a lot of the time, I guess people are just going to be stumped with what to do because they're so reliant on this technology explaining and telling them exactly what the fault is and exactly where to look for that fault. You don't have to learn with feeling anymore, like the old school mechanics. You have to turn on an engine back in the 80s. You have to hear an issue. No, it's very different now. You plug it in and you're told exactly what to change. And it's more a changing mentality. Like, right, okay, that bit of the machine is wrong. Just replace it. Don't repair it. Take it out. Put a new one in. Your bikes. This is from Paul in Australia. Hi, Freddie. After receiving a phone call from the dealership where my Kawasaki GTR 1400 is being held, awaiting parts after a slow speed off, it appears it could be December before it's back on the road. My off was in August. Paul, I've been just jumping in. I've been having updates from Paul since about August, so... This is waiting for parts to put his Kawasaki back together. Let's say August, September, October, November. 
could be five months waiting. I continue. There is a delay in getting parts from Kawasaki, Japan, due to their relocation of their headquarters and warehouse. So today, October 2023, my wife and I purchased a 2018 pictured Suzuki SV650X, the cafe racer variant of the very successful SV650 model range. I'll use the Suzuki for commuting to and from work and our weekend coffee shop rides. Regards, Paul and Sandra, Australia. I love these. These are always bikes that come up in my mind if someone once asks me to recommend a good value retro cafe racer style bike. SV650. Bulletproof Japanese reliability. You're not paying for any element of overstyling or any element of, of brand prestige. You're just getting a very good bike for the right price. I move on to Pakistan. This is brilliant. This is from, and apologies for the pronunciation, Amun, I think. This is an insight into Pakistani biking life. And I'll include the pictures as I go here. Great to hear from you, Amon, all the way over in Pakistan. Freddie, greetings from Pakistan. I don't know if many have reached out to you from this part of the world, but as you know, biking is a big thing here. So as soon as I was old enough, the first thing I wanted to do was get my very own glorious adrenaline machine. I'd grown up with Indian cinema, like many others my age, and fallen in love with Royal Enfield. Royal Enfield has a deal... I, this is fascinating. Royal Enfield has a deal with Indian cinema where the hero must always ride a Royal Enfield. So it was ingrained in my head that to be as cool as them, I needed my very own Royal Enfield, or cafe racer at least. But since our two governments, the Indian and the Pakistani governments, famously don't like each other, importing an Indian bike is more effort than it's worth. Plus, adding to this is the fact that importing would more than double the cost of a bike. A Royal Enfield was far out of reach. So I started looking at companies in Pakistan that had any bike I could transform into a cafe racer of my own. And that is when I ran into a Chinese company that had just launched in Pakistan, high speed. I wasn't very impressed with their stock 70cc bikes and cargo loaders, but one product caught my attention, the high speed 150. For 400,000 rupees, that's 1,200 pounds sterling British, this bike came with only an engine, a fuel gauge, an odometer, a seat, and no other tech. It has no ABS, no exhaust sensors, no digital dash, and of all things, sorry, a rear drum brake on a brand new bike. Over the last three months, I've managed to do 4,400 kilometers on the bike, and it's been glorious. I'm happy, or I am, currently saving up to strip a convert her into an authentic ton-up machine. I've attached some photos for you below. Best wishes, Ammon. Ammon, I think that looks brilliant. And I love this pic of the bike at the petrol station, just to show a little bit of Pakistani life as well with the gentleman behind. 
Great insight, brilliant insight. And the, the effect that politics and governments can have on the kind of vehicles that we own, the difficulty getting Royal Enfields over to Pakistan, something I, I really didn't know anything about. Brilliant, brilliant insight. Amon, thank you. On to Martin. Freddie, I'm a returning biker for this season. I last threw my leg over a bike in 2012, some 11 years ago now. My new Royal Enfield Meteor 350 was delivered today and I've been out for about an hour and a half and I couldn't be happier with the little Meteor. It's comfortable, fast enough for me, so smooth and easy to ride and within 15 minutes I'd gotten used to the heel-toe shifter. Martin. And Martin, with this care pack as well that Royal Enfield sent once you bought the bike, that is such a nice little touch. These small care packages, these small little, little gestures from motorcycle companies, brands in general, they do so much to strengthen brand relations to customers. I really love stuff like that. On to Jake in Australia. Freddie, I am a motorcycle postie in Australia. I'm in need of some advice on luggage. I recently purchased a Kawasaki W800 and want to keep with the modern retro style of the bike and get saddlebags to suit Jake. You know, Jake, the only ones I've found that I, I think are spot on for, for modern classics, lockable, easy to live with, Hepco and Becker, Sebo Rugged. Brilliant, brilliant panniers. I'll put a picture of my Triumph with them. I've had them for, could be four years now, and they are bits of kit for life. And when I change bikes, if I ever change bikes, they will always immediately go on. But having luggage on your bike, one of the single biggest game-changing bits that you can buy. It transforms everything. It makes everything easy. Help come back, Jake. They're brilliant. And that is a lovely bike. I love those Kawasaki's. On to John. Have a look at this setup. Three bikes here. John gives a, a very nice overview on the costs and life with these three bikes. Pictures up as I discuss. Freddie, with your chat about older bikes being value for money or being better value for money, simple to maintain, cheaper to maintain given the lack of new technology and sensors on new bikes. The only sensor required for old bikes is your backside, feet and hands. Also cheaper insurance and older bikes benefit from slower depreciation, even an increase in value in some cases. Adding that personal touch without fear of further reducing the value is another positive. Finding the character of your bike. In the case of doing your own servicing, you have a better chance of fixing the bike away from home if it goes wrong. Now this brings me to doing your own maintenance over a period of time, spreading the cost and the joy of finding a much needed part on eBay or Facebook or even a motorbike show. Here are my current bikes. A 1995 Ducati, a 2002 Aprilia RSV Mille, and a 2002 BMW R1100S. The BMW you can buy for less than £2,000. The Aprilia I bought this year for £2,200, 
and the Ducati I bought nearly 26 years ago, so that doesn't specifically count. I love them all for what they give me away from just riding. The pleasure of owning, or the pleasure of ownership, cannot be measured. Just seeing those, John, diagonally parked up by the side of your house, and realising how much bike you can get for your money if you look around. These are serious bits of kit. That Aprilia and the BMW, that is a lot of bike for the money, for £2,000. And you realise that while some bikes may seem gigantically expensive, biking is so exciting because there are so many bikes out there which really were very expensive when they came out, but you can pick them up dream level machines for really not that much at all. And the older bikes, like these 20 year old ones that John's got, they're simpler. You know, they'll be easier to work on as well. It was described last week by someone, around this period, 2002 type bikes, the sweet spot in motorcycling because they've got modern day reliability, but not too much tech to make them intimidating. I move on to Alyssa and John. Freddy fall riding is upon us. We're enjoying our Bonneville and our great selection of empty curvy back roads here in the great white north. Cheers from Toronto, Canada. You cannot beat a Bonneville with the beautiful open roads. That is a fine, fine sight, Alyssa and John. Happy riding. Moving on, expensive bikes. This is from William. Oh, William, this blew my mind. Let me get, let me open up my phone here because I've saved a few, I've saved a few bikes to back up what you're saying here. From William, Freddie, what is it with 70s? That's 1970s two strokes. The prices are astronomical, often more expensive than a brand new bike. Bikes like the Suzuki GT750, GT550, etc, etc, Kawasaki Triples, 750, 500, 400, doesn't matter which one, the Yamaha, RD400, RD350, RD250, yada, yada, yada. Look up the prices if you don't believe me. I can only think it's the old silver surfers with more money than sense in their late 60s and 70s trying to relive their youth. It is incredible. William, I couldn't believe this, so I, I wanted to back up and justify your claim. So I typed in Facebook Marketplace, bear in mind, should be the cheapest place to find stuff. I typed in Suzuki GT750 and up popped, well, a small list, but a very, very strong list with regards to residuals for these bikes. Get ready for this. 1976 Suzuki GT, 7,395 pounds. Private sellers these. Another one, 1975 Suzuki GT, 7,999 pounds. Another one, Suzuki GT 750, 7,750 pounds. These are pretty much the prices of brand new bikes. I mean, this one, for example, started at 10K, now being reduced to 9K for a 76 GT 750. 
They are just massive amounts of money. I mean, they're beautiful with that liquid cooled writing on the side of the engine. They're lovely, lovely looking things, but the prices have just gone through the roof. I'll do one more here. Yamaha RD400. Bikers of a certain age always, always mention the Yamaha RD400. It's a little 400cc bike. It's a relatively speaking small bike. Now, and I'm looking here, Facebook Marketplace, 1976 model, 3,800 pounds. A 1979 model, five grand. A 1976 model, 8,500 pounds. And finally, a 1978 model, 10,000 pounds. If I look at a mid-level one here, lovely looking Yamaha RD400, 1976. This is all sorted. It's all been restored to a good level. Looks great. It looks the business. It's ready to ride away. It's eight and a half thousand pounds and it's been reduced from 9,250. And I'm quoting here, Yamaha RD400, rebuilt, all speeds fitted. I have originals, get in touch for more details. You know, they're so in demand, these bikes, you don't even need to write a long description because they will sell themselves. And I'll move on to the king of the residuals. Okay, Kawasaki 750 triple, I typed into Facebook Marketplace. And if you thought the last bikes were expensive, get ready for this because a 1974 Kawasaki H2 on Facebook Marketplace, well, that will set you back 17,000 pounds. 17 grand. I'm reading the description here. For sale via my wife's account is my Kawasaki H2B. I've owned the bike for 10 years now and used it for probably three of those years. Stored away in the winter, imported from the USA. Immediately after purchase, I started the renovation program of the bike, powder coating the frame, etc., etc. The bike is not concourse and there are a few issues with it. So that 17 grand doesn't buy you a concourse or concourse Kawasaki. So I went online and I thought, is this really, is this really the price of these bikes? I went on to carandclassic.com and I won't go through all of the, the classifieds, but there here is for sale a, a restored, very good condition, Kawasaki H2 750 from the 70s. £18,800. And then there's another one here, 1971 model, early example, stunning condition, £20,000. And this is not unusual. There's one here for 30000 I could go on and on and on. Someone tell me, what is it? Genuine question. What is it that's so special about these Japanese bikes from the 70s that makes people pay what is deposit level money for a property on a 50 year old motorcycle. Hey, I love it. I get it. But I'm just curious about these specific bikes. What is it about these specific ones? Because truth is, if I had the money, I would probably buy one for a collection. I love them. But, but why these models? What is it that makes these models so much more valuable 
and other models almost worthless. And I've got another question. What do you all see as the next big up-and-coming bikes? What's the next Kawasaki triple 750 that could explode in value? I've tried to come up with one myself and I don't know if I'm going to be far of the mark here, but I'm going to use this bike for my bike of the week. And I, I would love to hear if you think I'm wrong or right, or what you think could be the next future classic that's right down, it's bottomed out in price, but it could explode in value. I've picked, let me just find it here. Here we go. I've picked the Kawasaki ZRH. This is a bike that was made from 2001 to 2007. Highly, highly regarded by its owners with a rating of 4.8 out of 5. It also gets a good reliability rating. But here's the key. Why do I think this could be a desirable bike? Well, first of all, the big Z Kawasaki's, they seem to always do well with regards to residuals. They seem to all start going up in value. So it's as simple as that. I thought I'd pick a modern-ish day version of those old classics. They're now coming up to about 22 years old, these bikes. So they surely are within 10 years or so of being ultra desirable. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Here's what MCN has to say. The Kawasaki ZRX 1200 is a big, beefy, retro-style bike with plenty of grunt, a comfortable riding position and good looks, especially in the R version, which pays homage to the Eddie Lawson replica Z1100R of the 80s. Now that's key because I test rode that bike and I know that they are hugely desirable. So moving on about... 20 years or so from that, from that Eddie Lawson replica into this modern day version of the bike. And again, we've had 23 years, 22 years on from when even this bike was made to appreciate it even more. Are we at the starting point of a classic here? I continue here from MCN. But the Kawasaki ZRX 1200 is really heavy, has a notchy gearbox and the handling and braking feels outdated compared to the new Z1000 Kawasaki or a stack of other 1000 to 1200 cc size naked roadsters. But does that really matter even one ounce when we're looking for classics? We don't care if it handles well, or if it's heavy or if the gearbox is a bit notchy. We just want something to evoke some passion in us. I found one of these gigantic ZRXs on Facebook Marketplace and I was very pleasantly surprised at the cost. It's got that classic green paintwork, the, the naked bike, but with a little bikini fairing just surrounding the headlamp, square headlamp with a fairing just below, a belly pan, beautiful blue, white and green stripe on the tank. It's a classic looking Kawasaki. It's immediately recognizable. It's got beautiful lines. It's got that slightly intimidating look to it that a, a true Kawasaki Z should have. It's stunning, stunning design. And if I read a brief description, Kawasaki ZRX 
says 1100 here, but that has got to be, that's got to be the 1200. Kawasaki ZRX 1200, good tires, chain and sprockets. Resprayed two years ago in great condition, starts on the button, we'll put an MOT on it. We'll put an MOT on it. This is an interesting thing. I hope this is a positive. I've just seen this. I saw another one, pretty much spot on condition of these for around about 3,800 pounds. I like the look of this one because it's cheap and it looks good. But if you go and view one like this, go and check the quality of the respray. Why was it resprayed? And the price has gone down from 4,500 pounds to 2,600 pounds. Why is there such a reduction on this bike? So you would have to check this fairly closely, but you can pick these bikes up, very nice condition, 3,800, or you can take what may be perceived to be a slight risk and get that one for 2,600 pounds. But could that be one of the next big things in the biking world? I'll wrap it up there. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this week's episode. Have a brilliant week. I'll speak to you all in the next one.